Welcome to Live at the Number. You're here with JB and David Cunningham. Insurance, JB, is the topic of uh, the day. I'm a mortgage broker. (laughs) What do I know about insurance? Well, actually, you need to know quite a bit, don't you? So, hey, (laughs) let me start with a story. I got my insurance renewal premium last week, and I looked at the dollar amount, and it was like, that's quite big. And so I went back and got my last year's insurance renewal out. And my sum insured had gone up 5%, and I got my calculator out because the two premiums were so different. 96% increase in my insurance premium on my home down on the Kapiti Coast. Yeah. Two things. One is the letter from the insurer didn't say, by the way, you're putting up your premium (laughs) or give any explanation. Secondly, was just the sheer scale of that increase. No blooming wonder we've got inflation driven by insurance. So what's your immediate reaction to that? Are you blown away by the scale of that increase or does that seem reasonable? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start with, you know, it's an absolute shock for people that are in the middle of a cost of living crisis. I mean, most people don't have a lot of spare money. Mm. So, you know, a shock like that is pretty bloody hard to absorb. Mm. And I think it wasn't unique to me because I asked the insurer and they said it reflects, you know, cost of construction going up you know, which it has a bit, but not 96 percent you know, uh, in the last year, I think it's more like 5%. The year before it went up a lot more. Weather events and a rebalancing of risks regionally is what they described. That's that's the big thing. That's been going on for a while. So what's happened, it's a global phenomenon, it's not just here in New Zealand, but what's been happening for a while is, of course, new entrants into the insurance market. Mm -hmm. And so they basically come in and they will attack parts of the market where traditional insurance companies are overcharging. So they'll price compete and they'll win market share. But the problem is, as those entrants win market share in markets where the risk is mispriced, Mm -hmm. you know, and that traditional insurers are cross-subsidizing, what it does is it makes it more difficult for the traditional insurers because they... It's kind of, uh, what do you call it, but they end up with the bad business. Yeah, yeah. A negative selection or something like uh, that. Yeah, yeah, adverse yeah. selection. Adver- yeah, so, so you end up with all the bad risk and the yeah, good risk. And yeah. that's because of that cross-subsidization. So what you're saying is risk-based pricing, which the new entrants did, yeah. but the existing didn't, has actually forced the whole industry to risk-based pricing. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah, basically. Where your premium's going to depend on the risk. So... so yeah, no, 100%. So in the old days, the insurers just kind of, you know, just kind of ran, you know, the whole country. I mean, there was risk-based pricing there, but it was kind of averaged out a lot, and mm-hmm. they kind of just took a you know, pretty simple view of it. But now that they've got a lot more data, a lot more sophistication, you know, they can get much more micro around their risk management. And then, as I said, new entrants coming in, competing for high-quality bits of business, has just forced this real move to accurate risk-based pricing. Mm-hmm. And so areas like Wellington in particular have seen massive premium increases, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I remember 20 years ago, I used to always marvel at how low house insurance was in Wellington. When I looked a year or two ago, it was like three times the price of the same property in Auckland. Now, for me, it looks like it's probably yeah. six times the price of a property in Auckland. So that reflects the risk from what? Earthquakes. Earthquakes, you know, so down on the Kapiti coast, it's flat, it's, it's sand, there's a liquefaction. Liquefaction, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, Wellington's got high earthquake risk, right? Well, the whole country has, but Wellington's obviously been waiting for the big one for ever since I was born. Mm. (laughs) So do you think, when you sort of say, you know, when the insurance company says to me, regional re-weighting, do you think that means I went up and someone else went down? Or, uh, well, possibly, or just didn't go up, right? Yeah. So, like, our premiums in Auckland are a hell of a lot less than your premiums in Wellington. Yeah, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, you know, not so much earthquake risk up here, you know, maybe the odd bit of volcano risk. Mm. You know, there's so many volcanoes scattered around the city. But, but let's face it, you know, the risk of a volcano is pretty bloody low. But yeah, look, risk-based pricing, and it's not just an issue in New Zealand. So I'd actually been reading some stuff on this a while ago, and I know it's a really big problem in the US, especially around places like Miami and down in Florida and stuff, Mm. um, low-lying areas susceptible to hurricanes. Mm. So, you know, apparently over there now, it's it's damn near impossible to get insurance in Mm. a lot of those low-lying areas. And... Um, in the US have been exploring uh, you know, what sort of models they can put in, a bit like EQC, mm. where the government right. or there's some pooling mm. of some of that underlying risk because it's become so difficult for people to get insurance. Mm. Mm. So back to New Zealand, are there examples where properties are uninsurable? Are you seeing any of those through our advisory business? Or maybe a little bit, you know, like, so in Auckland, um, I think we're sort of starting to see some properties that are very difficult to insure. What I would sort of say is that you can generally get insurance for anything, but they just have exclusions. And so if you own a property outright with no lending on it, who cares, right? You can actually own a house and have no insurance. Mm. It's not a problem. The only mandatory insurance is when you've got a bank loan in there because the bank loan stipulates, you know, you need to have house insurance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if you had a little batch, you know, it's just a little shack on a piece of land and all the values in the land and the level of lending is quite low, the bank may be quite relaxed about insurance because you're still on land value, right? Mm-hmm. You go to the bank, assume there's no house there, we're just lending on land value. Bank's okay, insurance not required, right? As soon as there's a, you know, the bank's reliant on a house, then you know they're gonna be quite strict. And look, that's around code of compliance, that's around building code, building standards, and then it goes through to things like insurance and making sure that you've got full cover. So the key thing is, what we've seen a bit more of lately is insurers putting exclusions on policies, and that's where you need to run the lender through the exclusions and make sure that they're happy with it. So what's an example of an exclusion you've Flooding. Seen? Flooding, right. I had a house the other day that was close to a creek mm-hmm. in Auckland. The house itself wasn't in the flood zone, mm-hmm. but the property was. But the insurer had put a $5,000 exclusion on flood damage. What's that mean? Excess? Excess, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, an excess. Well, yeah, yeah. $5,000 excess on flood damage. And, um, but they're you know, still getting insurance. And so we got that through the bank, that was fine. But you know, normally they wouldn't put an excess on it like that, but in this case they did. And I think that what they realized is that you know, the, the, the property wasn't at probably any sort of structural risk, mm. but the likelihood of some level of flood damage was probably quite high, right? Right, right. What about a situation where it's uninsurable in terms of no insurer will take the risk like for example if I've got a coastside property 
with erosion very evident, you know, surely situations like that must be where there's no insurer that will accept the risk. I haven't seen it, yeah. but I presume so. And then look, what happens in those cases is the properties sell for very discounted values. Right. And yeah. the buyers of those properties, if there are buyers, would be buying it on the basis that they can't get insurance. Mm. Is it a bit like sort of leaky homes, you know, a decade or two ago, you couldn't sell it for love nor money, but, um, but you know, when the property market got really tight, prices skyrocketed, suddenly these seem really cheap and so buyers emerged. Is that sort of a little bit like that? Yeah, I think so. so um, in flood prone areas, um, might be hard to sell your property or if there's been a flood event, it might be really hard to sell your property if you sell it at a big discount, insurance premiums are probably higher. So hey, if you're in a flood zone and you've had flood damage, the property value has gone down potentially quite dramatically. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I think that's the biggest issue, right, is that you know, anyone that suddenly finds himself in a place where it's hard to sell a property mm. is going to experience a pretty significant reduction in its value. Mm. So in Auckland, you know, people are a lot more aware of flood-prone properties now. Yeah, than 18 months ago, obviously. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And Hawke's Bay, obviously, too. Yeah, when you look at a limb report and it shows your house is in the floodplain, you know, in the old days, everyone was like, oh, has it ever flooded? Nah, okay, sweet. You know, whereas now it's, uh, you know, the conversations are probably a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. So what would be your advice be to people looking at buying a house and, and getting finance? What well, we, well what you should always, I mean, two things really. You should always be checking your limb report. That's an absolute no-brainer, right? Checking your limb report. You know, you should be taking some of these risks a bit more seriously, particularly mm-hmm. coastal inundation, which mm-hmm. is now on the limb reports. Yeah. Um, coastal inundation is a really serious one, I think, long-term. And, you know, flood prone areas you yeah. know those are the two things to look out for and then you know look just because it's in a floodplain doesn't mean it's the end of the world right you just got to know what you're in for mm-hmm. and when you start to look at a property is it worth just going online and you know typing in the address and because you know when you do that i think it brings up the details of the property anyway and it will tell you the premium i did one recently and it just said sorry we're not insuring in this area oh really yeah so, and that was wow. that was a property down in Kapiti. it just said so this was uh one of the newer insurers you probably mentioned, they're just not doing it. I can't remember who it was, but yeah. Yes, so yeah, that was yeah, interesting, but yeah. I went to my normal insurer, which is through a bank, and they were prepared to quote. So yeah. that was sort of interesting. That's exactly the situation you've described. They've just, yeah. just got a blanket exclusion. Risk, risk, risk. But I suppose the point is, by doing that, you get a pretty quick sense of whether the property is insurable or not. Yeah. And, I, you know, before you get too far with falling in love with the property, right? Yeah, always, always get an insurance quote before you get going because look, the insurers are really sophisticated these days. They dial right into specific property risk. So, mm-hmm. you know, simply getting a quote, putting the address in. I prefer to talk to someone over the phone rather mm-hmm. than just do it online. Mm-hmm. They don't just quote, you know, they give you a binding quote mm-hmm. where they'll actually insure it. And I think that's really important that you know what you're up for. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thinking about the impact of those big increases in insurance on inflation and interest rates. It's sort of a pretty interesting topic. So sort of almost segueing into what insurance costs and increasing premiums and risk-based pricing and weather events mean for inflation and therefore interest rates. So stand back, you know, the Reserve Bank is going on and on about, you know, this is a global thing about tradables inflation and non-tradables inflation. And historically in New Zealand, tradables inflation has averaged about zero and non-tradables about 3%. So that's how the Reserve Bank's hit the average of 2%. Mm. And at the moment, you've still got this non-tradables inflation running higher. And if you 
dig down into the numbers, there are three things driving non-tradables inflation. Rent, insurance, <laughs> and rates. So let's sort of delve into that. So firstly, rents, that's a supply and demand thing, right? Lots of migrants, so rents are rising. Well, I mean, you'd say it's supply and demand because if there was excess supply, then you'd have downward pressure on rents irrespective mm. of what's going on with input costs, right? Mm. But the reality is it's got far more expensive for landlords. Mm. If you think about rates, insurance, mm. healthy home <laughs> standards, yeah, uh, removal yeah. of interest deductibility, which is obviously coming back, but just, you know, our last government's, you know, kind of anti-property stance flowing through into higher rents. That was always going to happen. We talked about that for yeah. for years, right? Sort of saying, hey, you kind of smash property investors with a sledgehammer, you're going to end up with a problem on the other side. Then mm -hmm. here's the dumb thing, right? It's like you smash property investors and then you open the floodgates on immigration. Mm. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, okay, so let's move on to insurance and rates then. So, you know, rates, uh, you know, you're hearing right. numbers around 10%, 13%, yeah. 8%. So, so here's the thing, right? Rates is a form of tax. Hmm. And I think of it as the incompetence tax. <laughs> like, it's a tax on incompetence. I get so frustrated in this country how good we are at wasting money. And councils are probably the perfect example of it. And so our rates are going up because of these big kind of bureaucratic monsters that are absolutely useless at spending and investing money, right? And our rates are going up, which is frustrating, but it, we'll come back to the Reserve Bank in a second. But So that's my view on rates, right? That rates is an incompetence tax. Insurance is just a, it's another form of taxation, really. But the thing with insurance is that it's very real, right? I mean, what we've got going on globally as a readjustment of risk based on, you know, essentially climate change. Now, could almost say it's a tax in its own right, sort of. Yes, that's done managed by the private sector, but it's sort of a tax on homeowners to deal with climate change. Yeah. So here's the thing that I don't get, right? So look, we get this whole sort of, you know, inflation is bad argument. But sometimes things happen and you look through it to go, that's a structural change, it's a one-off structural change, we'll look through it, look at underlying, and, and that's what we'll make our decisions on. Because if you don't do that, then effectively you end up needlessly killing the patient hmm. when, you know... I, I suppose you could argue it's like when GST increases, which it did know, yeah. six, eight, ten years ago or so on, inflation goes high, so you don't respond with interest rate changes to stamp out no. the GST impact or, or no. whatever, but don't you have to stamp out the flow-on effects of that? <laughs> it's kind of daft, right? No, but, but, but let's think about it for a moment, right? We've got this global adjustment of risk going on that means it's more expensive for homeowners, like with insurance, right? And then we go, oh my God, you know, You've got this increase in cost of insurance that you've got to absorb into your daily lives. We're worried that that's going to flow through to inflation. So at the same time, we're going to beat the shit out of you with interest rates just to make sure that you die. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? It doesn't make any sense at all. This is not wage inflation spiral. The economy's basically buggered. You've got structural inflation coming through on things that are uncontrollable, right? And we're like, oh, look, actually, the patient's, you know, kind of in the death throes. Let's just 
bayonet them, mm. chuck up interest rates just in case they ask mm. for a wage increase. But to be fair to the Reserve Bank, isn't it the flow-through effect that when people hear inflation is 3%, they ask for a 3% or 4% pay rise and therefore everything goes up and so unless you get expectations back down, yes I hear it's structural, but it's the flow and impact of that. And you know, as you say, the you know, stab the patient when they're already down and out sort of thing might be what's happening, but it's almost like to make up for high rent insurance and rate increases, you've got to have almost negative inflation in some other areas. Yeah, and, but you know, doesn't well, that deliver the right outcome if you get back to 2% instead? Yeah, no. Are we saying inflation should be structurally higher permanently because of climate change and earthquake risk and risk-based pricing? Well, I mean, I, I think you get some pretty significant one-off changes like you've experienced with your insurance, right? But um, I don't think that they keep increasing. I mean, they could a bit. But um, look, council rates is something completely separate and you know what we actually need to do there is actually figure out how to run this country there's some productivity improvements hopefully with ai mm. that will allow us to run the country more efficiently that means that we won't continue to see this kind of incompetence tax creeping mm. through mm. on mm. on regular rates see, see what's really interesting if you look through retail sales and gdp you know retail sales are going, weak, sideways, right? going sideways with a much bigger population so per capita retail sales per capita gdp is plunging yeah and you know every graph you see with gdp has a steady upward line with sort of short periods of volatility but we've got this flat line that's been going on for 12 18 months so can regular businesses put their prices up well their sales will plummet even more and they'll go so they business. can't can yeah. they right yeah. because the economy is weak businesses can't put their prices up so what happens when their staff ask for a pay rise mm, no they basically say, sorry, mm. no can do. Mm. Or they basically reduce their staffing levels mm. because they want to pay their people more, but to do that, they've got to get rid of a few. Mm. So they mm. look for productivity improvements and mm. stuff. And mm. I can guarantee that it's certainly going on across businesses in New Zealand at the yeah. moment. Yeah, I mean, I guess one reason we've seen GDP or productivity decline over the last two years is just businesses have held on to their workers because of the fear of having to re-employ them later and how hard mm. they've found that in the past. So. By definition, if less is being produced and you're holding on to your workers, productivity goes down. So, you know, sometimes in New Zealand we bemoan the weak productivity sort of stuff, but actually it's been driven by putting the country into recession, as Adrian Orr promised to do in November year before last. And did. Yeah, and did. So, I mean, I suppose leading into interest rates then with that, you know, the structural impact of non-tradables, inflation, weak GDP and so on, surely interest rates have peaked. Well, you'd like to think so. I mean, other other than Sharon over at ANZ, I'm not seeing anyone talking yeah. up interest rates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even it's a global thing, right? Like looking through all over the world, you've got interest rates forecast to be cut between June and September everywhere in the world, apart from the current market pricing in New Zealand's November. I mean, inflation will probably be 2% by then, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, we had shit GDP in September, you know, and it took them forever to report it. Mm. We know that the December quarter is going to be weak because retail sales were not good. You know, my pulse you know, sort of out in the, in the trenches tells me that even the first quarter this year is not going to be great. Mm. 
So we've um, just had really weak real estate sales in January come through as well. Is that yeah. what you've seen? Yeah. yeah, 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 it's been pretty quiet. Yeah. I don't so the call for an interest rate hike when that's happening is... The only piece of data that's come out that, you know, kind of is, was out of line with a weakening economy was the unemployment data or the employment data, right? Mm. But as we know, that's a lagging indicator because... Mm businesses are going to always be slow to, to cut people out of their business. It doesn't mean that businesses aren't struggling and it, you know, it doesn't mean that you're in a you know, pretty nasty kind of recessionary environment, mm. but that's a lagging indicator. Yeah. It's going to take longer to come through. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I, mean, I guess the point is, whatever happens with interest rates, hey, unlikely interest rates would go up, but they're coming down once inflation's sort of snuffed out, or in theory it should be well before inflation's snuffed out, obviously, because, you know, leading and lagging and all that sort of stuff, and especially with fixed rates prevalent in New Zealand, it takes probably two or three years for the transmission mechanism. So, yeah. you know, what are, I guess... Bring it all together. What does this mean in terms of our advice to borrowers? You know, firstly, starting with insurance. So what, what you should do before you buy. Well, insurance is a really big cost these days, right? So the first thing is don't underestimate the cost of insurance right. when you're assessing your ability to borrow, right? So get a quote before get, you commit. Get, yeah. get a quote, especially in areas where those insurance premiums can be a lot higher. Mm-hmm. But also factor it into your budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's probably number one. Always get a quote. Number two is, look, this is probably a longer term thing, but I think it is one of those things where, you know, historically you probably didn't think about it at all. But I think going forward, being a bit more mindful about global warming is important. And to share another story, obviously you were looking at a house down your way a while ago and you threw it at me and I threw it straight back and said no mm. for these reasons right yeah, it was because a property that had, had flood damage and was near the water <laughs> well there were two issues yeah. with it it was below the road so mm. the concern was that in heavy rain you'd get rain coming down the road into the property right yeah, so which had happened a couple of years before yeah, yeah. and and the second thing was coastal inundation which mm. was too close to sea level mm. and um, so the funny enough is, that house is still on the market yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> beautiful like, house shit location yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it was on a concrete pad so there's mm. no ability to lift it easily but you know again you know think about it with coastal properties and stuff because one of the things is that you you know you might be able to insure it today it might have a market today but in 15 years time you might find that you've got a property that is uninsurable and not sellable mm. and so you know if you're investing a serious amount of your wealth into a property, mm. you know, you've got to start thinking about these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. This is where this term managed retreat comes from. So <laughs> over a long period of time, we retreat from being close to the foreshore. We retreat from flood-prone zones, but it's a really long, slow process that's probably 100 years by the time, because you've got dwellings there today, you've got people living there today, right? Yeah, we'll see in more intelligent countries. <laughs> there's a lot more going into this now, right? Mm. Like I know in Singapore, there's a huge amount of work. So that's obviously a very low-lying country. Mm. There's a lot of work going into understanding coastal inundation and rising sea levels. Mm. You know, mm. they've got a hundred-year plan mm. to, to kind of address this. Well, here's an interesting stat. The Netherlands, very flat, right, is something like 60% below sea level. But they've built a framework, a structure to protect themselves. Yeah. Fascinating, eh? Oh, so, so you can do it. It just costs a lot of money, obviously. <laughs> People I know, you know, have been more careful recently. Like I, I had a mate of mine who had a coastal property and he sold it. Nice property, uh, you know, quite an expensive property. He sold it and he's like, 
uh, too close to sea level. Mm. He's like, it's not a problem at the moment, someone will buy it off me. Mm. But he's like, you know, 15 years time, I don't want my forever home mm. being in a coastal flood zone. Mm. So yeah, he just didn't want to take the risk. It's interesting, so the attraction of living beachfront is still quite strong though. So my observation is when the property market's strong, those riskier sort of situations sell, in a weak market, they're really hard to move. But yeah. in, a, in a strong market, they look like bargains, hey, on beachfront for this yeah. price. It's like yeah, I don't, I don't think you've seen a big shift yet in New Zealand, but I think over the next sort of 10 to 15 years, you're just gonna see an increasing awareness and a shift in this sort of stuff. You're starting to see it with insurance premiums, mm. which is probably an early indicator mm. around you know, risk-based pricing for coastal and stuff like that. Mm. This isn't going away. This is a long-term, very gradual trend that uh, is going to become more and more obvious and will reach this point where people go, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be like, yeah. no, because it's so slow. It's like, you know, when you boil a frog in water, yeah. you know, it doesn't jump out, right? Because it doesn't notice the change in temperature. Yeah. You could almost argue that this phenomena around global warming is the same thing. You know, all these rich buggers are busy buying up these expensive coastal properties, you know, a metre above sea level. Yeah like completely oblivious to the fact that you know if they actually paid any attention to climate change the house probably won't exist in another 100 years mm -hmm. this is depressing me jamie <laughs> <laughs> i reckon we should finish there but you know fascinating in terms of insurance premiums risk-based pricing driving up inflation which is like as you described it rates and insurance are sort of like a property tax as opposed to an inflate you know a good or service sort of thing and the impact of that on that on actually holding interest rates up, it would sort of seem. But I guess our pleas for the Reserve Bank is, you know, think about looking through some of these things because they're more tax orientated rather than inflation orientated. Yeah. That's no, our advice, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. And you know, I'd imagine a time in the future where, you know, people are going to own plots of water. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we'll finish there. Catch you next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.